0: Yeah,
1: babe. By the way, I've spoken with Topher about this, but I heard we're both millennials, technically. Very much so. I heard that Gen Z is now, they're now calling jean jackets chewy. And for anyone who doesn't know what chuggy means, it's like anything that millennials do. Um, No, it's like it's like live, laugh, love. Um, uh, What else? What else can I?
0: Beach art in a Manhattan apartment.
1: Yeah, it's like it's like cheesy, but it's called like chuggy. It's corny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's now they're now calling jean jackets chuggy, which I'm like, that is a blatant attack on bisexuals. I will not stand for it, especially during Pride Month.
0: Yeah, I really don't need to be attacked like that. Rude. Y'all are trying to bring back those stupid, you remember those little zigzag headbands that you had to like get cinched into your hair?
1: I think I had serious scalp damage from trying to use those. Yeah.
0: And they're trying to bring those back in and somehow jean jackets aren't cool anymore? Get fucked.
1: They're trying to shrink their brains and just like have scalp damage.
0: I was rooting for you. We were all rooting for you.
1: Anyway, I'm really excited to talk about this movie that we're talking about today. It's been a long time coming. We've wanted to cover this literally since it came out.
0: Yeah, we. Uh, this was on the docket day one, pretty much.
1: Yeah, we just wanted to find a, an appropriate time. And with his new movie coming out mm-hmm. fairly soon, uh, we figured this is as good of a time as any.
0: Absolutely. One of my favorite new directors.
1: Oh, absolutely. Wonderful.
0: He's in the new canon for me.
1: Mm-hmm hmm definitely has secured his spot like tenfold
0: yeah so um I guess we should say like uh, I don't know what's the line hey babe yeah babe remember that time we watched us
1: you mean the 2019 Jordan Peele sophomore film following get out
0: Uh, the one and only
1: I'm so excited to talk about this movie uh, he, I mean, he's done other things, too, obviously. We've got Key and Peele, and then he also directed the new Twilight Zone yes. series, which I've seen a couple episodes of, and it's incredible. He was a huge fan of the original. Um, he even got some inspiration from one of those episodes for this movie. Yes. He's always been very... Uh, Fascinated with doppelgangers and yeah. the idea of having a double, and the idea of like the unsettling moment that you have sometimes when you look at your own face in the mirror. And there was like, I'm trying to find my notes. Yeah. There there was a 1960 episode. It was called Mirror Image. It was it's a starring, great episode. Yeah. It was starring Vera Miles and Martin Milner. Mm-hmm. Um, and It was kind of all about like the doppelganger, like mythology, because it's very prevalent in mythology this idea of having like a twin or a double or, you know, an alter ego even. Um, And he said that he couldn't stop wondering why is this sort of terror so visceral to me? And why, uh, when it comes to like the idea of these doubles, why is it, like, what are we so afraid of? Yeah. And that's really what he wanted to explore in this movie. And we'll get way, way more into that. I have some wonderful quotes from him from interviews and all that stuff. So I'm very excited. Yeah.
0: But yeah, I mean, I, even just getting back to Twilight Zone real quick and him hosting it, too. No one's voice is better for it. Uh, to succeed Rod Serling. Agreed. Like, the original Twilight Zone is one of my favorite television things, like I'm not even just gonna call it a show. Like it's an it's an institution, right? Yeah. Um, for sci-fi, for horror, for uh, talking about race and gender politics and yeah, like coded queerness and things like that. Like all of that is there, and it was all. I'm gonna weirdly give praise to a white man on this one. Rod Serling was a fucking real one.
1: Yeah, and I mean, even the second that you know you're iconic is when you creep into. Um, like everyday speech like yeah. how many TV shows and movies and then in you know our real lives have we said I feel like I'm in the fucking Twilight Zone yeah or like you know something like that and, and so or like did I just enter the Twilight Zone because every it became an iconic staple and everyone knew what you were talking about when you said did I just enter the Twilight Zone like what the yeah. hell is going on
0: absolutely yeah yeah and I mean, it's inspired so many things. Obviously, it's been inspired parody as well, like um, Futurama. With uh, you sure. just entered the scary door. Yeah, it's fucking hilarious. But then also, you get Black Mirror. There's no Black Mirror without Twilight Zone.
1: I was about to say that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite modern shows, you know, yeah. um, or like I don't know, anthologies or whatever. Um, whatever
1: you want to call it. You don't yeah. get
0: Creep Show without Twilight Zone.
1: Yeah, you don't get a lot of things without it. It's again, it's iconic.
0: But yeah, we should, uh, we should get into the meat of this, I guess. And uh, wait, who are we?
1: Yeah, I'm Nicole.
0: I'm Topher.
1: Yes, he's a little confused. It's fine. We're the Horror Babes. And today we're going to be doing the normal format. If you're new here, welcome. Uh, what that means is Topher will take us through who made this thing. Shout out the cast and crew. And then I'll take us through the plot. And then in our third act... We're gonna go into a deeper dive into the themes and just like what made this movie so great, et cetera. Et cetera. So, without further ado, Topher, who made this thing?
0: Not John Carpenter, but maybe the new John Carpenter.
1: Yeah, he's, I mean,
0: Carpenter's still alive, but like, you know what I mean?
1: He's got a lot. I mean, we'll we'll definitely get into this, but there's there's a this movie is steeped in reference, and and yet it does its own thing and has its own perspective, and like that's, a wonderful tea. Yeah, and that's exactly what both of us have always described a perfect horror film to be: is that it's steeped in reference so that you feel at home, but then it throws a different perspective in there, so it teaches you something, but it also makes you feel completely at home, but also unsettled at home, which exactly. is awesome.
0: Yeah, it's using that comfortability to uh, lure you in and make you think you know what's going to be going down, but you do not. You do not. Um, there yeah. are a lot
1: of twists, especially in this one.
0: Real quick, what do you think your tether's name would be? I was thinking about that while we introduced ourselves.
1: Um, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I feel like I want to go. I want to go a little too deep into that because they do. Because in this, they do mean something. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, and a lot of them are you know uh, references from mythology and the Bible and all of these different things. So I feel like. I feel like I would want to actually do a deep dive on this. I don't know if I can just like say Bill or whatever. <laughs> like you know, I don't I don't really know. Bet. Do you, Do you have any any ideas about what yours would be called?
0: Not without being incredibly sacrilegious. No.
1: What is yours gonna be like, Satan? No, not now. I think it's my cat's name. I think mine would be Marceline, <laughs> and I'd be like, "That's my cat's name," and then they would be like silent because none of the tethered talk so it's it's fine (laughs) just
0: making like grunting noises yeah yeah all right so who did make this thing well jordan peele as we said he wrote and directed this fucking fantastic like you said as well this is his follow-up to 2017's get out Mm -hmm. which was a breakthrough smash hit for him
1: yo yeah
0: everybody so i'm gonna talk some shit in a second so (laughs)
1: Are you? It's so I unlike I am, you. I
0: am. I know. I've never done this before. It's what? completely out of character for me. Just some background. If you don't know who Jordan Peele was before he started making movies, what's the fuck is your problem? But, Nicole, you mentioned Kean Peele, and that was his big breakout as an actor, as a writer, as yes. somebody who had a certain amount of star power.
1: Yeah.
0: But he'd been doing comedy for so long, and Kian Peele was such a successful sketch comedy show yeah. Um, after In the vein of, of Dave Chappelle, it should be said. Um, mm-hmm. They've often been accused of ripping him off. I That's a ridiculous thing to say. They were using a new format that he created to make more new, different art. Yeah. That really centered blackness and what it means while still being really fucking hilarious.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. Yeah. I love that.
0: Like, it was... Yeah.
1: This is... I mean, he, he talks about representation a lot, and I think that this movie did so much for that. I mean, he said, you know, I just want to see a black family on, on the beach. God damn yeah. it. Like black, <laughs> black families by boats, black families. Do, he was like, I want us to be outside of this box that, um, a lot of the media has put us in. And I think that that is, you know, obviously one, a wonderful thing he's, uh-huh. um, that he's done. And, uh, I have a funny thing about when you brought up comedy. So during the screening, like one of the first screenings of this mm-hmm. movie, Uh, Winston Duke, who plays uh,
0: (sighs) Mary, who's so
1: hot, so so hot, and uh, he plays Gabe in in the uh, in the movie uh, Lupita's husband, and he's also hilarious. Like that also is what makes him really hot. And in an interview, Jordan Peele said said I was so mad because Winston got more laughs. During that screening, than I have in my entire career. (laughs) And I just thought that was like really funny because that's, you know, what he's done for years is comedy and all of this. And but the way that he positioned in the script for Gabe, he is the comedic relief. I love that. And when you're in a tense situation, you do tend to laugh more at the relief because you're welcoming it. You're kind of like, you know, like, thank God someone's lightening the mood and everything. Mm And I also think that that makes Jordan Peele such a wonderful writer, too, coming yeah. from a comedy background and also being such a horror nerd.
0: Yeah, we'll definitely dive into how much of a nerd he is. So coming back to that. So anyway, getting back to the history kind of behind all of this Yeah. Um, with Get Out, I, it was funny how many people were like, oh, Jordan Peele's making a horror movie. That's going to fucking suck. And I'm just sitting there looking at them and I'm like, he's talked about horror movies so Much every interview ahead of Get Out, so many interviews before that was even announced, he would talk about his love for John Carpenter and Sam Raimi and Toby Hooper and Wes Craven and Karen Kusama. Like, he's mentioned all of those people by name in interviews as like directors who inspire him,
1: and we see all of that reflected in here for sure. I mean, and at least he didn't say what John Krasinski said before directing the first A Quiet Place where he's like "Oh, I don't even really like horror. I'm just gonna do it. And I'm like you mediocre white man thinking that you can just <laughs> like step into anything and do it.
0: Just because you hammed at the camera for fucking 10 years doesn't mean you can direct a goddamned horror movie.
1: I know. So I, I think that those people who were saying you know like oh it's gonna suck definitely ate their words.
0: Yeah or they hated it and love A Quiet Place. Yeah. And which means they have terrible taste and stay far, far away from me. I do not want to talk to you. <laughs> so I guess I should get to the stars. We've talked a lot about uh, Jordan Beale and we have a lot more to say. Yeah. Um, I should also say that Get Out had a 100% Rotten Tomatoes rating when it came out mm-hmm. and t- for months until some asshole was like, mm, I don't really like black people and gave it a negative review. And because Rotten Tomatoes is a terrible, terrible calculation of what's good, yeah. it dropped it to 99
1: Jesus. Everyone just has to steal the joy or try to, don't they? <laughs> People just, are
0: just uh, shitty, shitty. It's yeah. rude. But Metacritic, the average, they do a good weighted average. It's mm-hmm. uh, 81 out of 100.
1: Which, I mean, for, for a movie, that's pretty damn good.
0: There are very few that make it above 80. Yeah. Um, that's like the most universally acclaimed films make it above 80. Yeah. So, uh, our stars. We have none other than Oscar winner and incredible actor... One of my favorite people in film, Lupita Nyong'o.
1: Like when you go to the theater and you know you're seeing a movie with her in it, you know you're like in for a treat. Even yeah. if she's the only one that bra- that like shows up and does her job, I'm still just like that was fantastic. Like, yeah, <laughs> she she can carry a film, and she does in this like such
0: slight shoulders, and yet so broad.
1: She's I can't I can't speak enough on like how great she is as an actor yeah. and I will talk more about that later
0: um, yeah she plays our protagonist and antagonist right
1: because like,
0: heads up everybody plays two roles in this movie
1: it's uh, so fun
0: yeah she plays Adelaide Wilson slash Red yes now, there's I have to mention because someone there was some tweet this year leading up to the It was leading up to the Oscars that this was a part of and there was uh, someone tweeted like uh, two side-by-sides and it was some actor who they were like they played two completely different roles in the same year how can you not give them an oscar and someone just quotes who did it and was like yo lupita did it in one movie what you fucking talking about yes like- <laughs> yes
1: another thing that um peel said about her he was like when i was watching this you know in the screening with the audience he was like i was stricken uh lupita does ripley from alien she does clarice starling and she does hannibal lecter which are you know both from silence of the lambs Mm -hmm. in one movie it's crazy it's wild and that's that's completely that's completely on the nose like that's exactly what she's giving us throughout this entire movie is um yeah though like it's it's pretty incredible the just the the depth both of the characters have yeah it's wonderful
0: it's so fantastic um, as you mentioned, we've got Winston Duke as her husband, Gabe Wilson slash Abraham.
1: And they went to Yale together. Really? And then Gabe Wilson
0: and Abraham went to Yale together.
1: <laughs> no, him and Lupita. But I guess yes, because they're playing the same, you know, they're played <laughs> by the same person. Um, y- yeah, they, they went to Yale together. Then we're both in Black Panther together. And mm-hmm. now we're in this together.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: God, that, wonderful chemistry they're also
0: both amazing in Black Panther
1: yes oh my god
0: seeing Lupita do an action film is so fun
1: well in talking about someone playing two completely different roles he plays yeah. like a very like Herculean like person yeah in, in I'm Black melting Panther. and it's not because
0: of the heat wave
1: I know he's he's so hot and then he plays kind of like the goofy again like comedic relief in this when he's even
0: comedic relief to a certain degree in Black Panther yeah when he fucking shouts down I was I just rewatched it again recently because I love Ryan Coogler and I wanted something fun mm-hmm. um but when he shouts down Martin Freeman's character the CIA guy
1: mm-hmm. he's
0: just like white man uh-uh he just no, He doesn't say he doesn't say anything he just keeps starts like uh like grunting at him yeah because they're the gorilla clan yes and good lord Winston Duke is a large dude yeah. And, like, just the physical imposition, the way that that shot is done. I know I'm talking about a different movie now, but the way that that shot is done is just chef kiss. Totally. Um, we have Elizabeth Moss as Kitty Tyler slash Dahlia.
1: She, again, she picks up – she picks some very fucked up projects, and I respect her for that. Yeah. Like, Handmaid's Tale, this, and then – Um, there's something else that, that recently came out that a friend was telling me about that, like they were having trouble watching it and they were like, yeah, it stars Elizabeth Moss and uh, it wasn't a Handmaid's Tale. Invisible uh, Man? It might've been. And I was just like, dang, I can't say that I wouldn't pick a lot of fucked up projects, but like (laughs) she loves, she loves doing it. And she also did that really
0: fucked up time travel movie with, um, Mark DuPless.
1: Yes. Yes. she she, like a
0: sci-fi romance, but it's super fucked. Can't remember the name of it
1: yeah she's i mean she's very good at it like the 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 uh that one moment in this film where she's like kind of like you know crying and and you you kind of think like oh like she's upset about something but then just it turns into like maniacal laughter and like as her yeah as her, as, as, as tether. her tether and it's just like whoa <laughs> it's yeah just, i mean she's really good she's just great
0: speaking great. of uh that tiktok trend where white women start crying and then just like Oh, smirk hell no. and wink we no, are done with we're that we're not everyone needs that's a so fucked up
1: yeah no that needs that needed to never happen it quite literally white right violence now. yeah
0: um another comedian who comes in here and you know jordan peele hired him because they were friends tim heidecker is josh tyler slash tex tex is my favorite tether name oh so my far. god yeah and this is in credits order by the way this is not necessarily an order of importance but the in the, in the film but yeah yeah, he's Tim Heidecker is so good in this. I love him in everything, though.
1: Yeah, he makes you hate him.
0: Yeah, that, uh, I, was, I was re-watching the uh, I Think You Should Leave the other night because I couldn't sleep. And what better way to make myself go to sleep than watch one of the funniest things that's come out in the last year and a half? Uh, but yeah, him as the, the jazz guy who sucks with the gazpacho soup.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> very good, very good.
0: Um, two newcomers to the game. Shahadi Wright Joseph as Zora Wilson or slash Umbre. That's uh, their daughter. Mm -hmm. And Evan Alex is Jason Wilson, Jason Wilson slash Pluto.
1: Also wonderful casting. They're very, very talented kid actors. Very Very talented.
0: And uh, I saw I watched a few videos and saw a bunch of the interactions online between the three of them. That being Evan Alex, Shahadi Wright Joseph and Jordan Peele. Mm -hmm. They he is so sweet with them. This is like that long history of like the people in the movie. Like, when you have kids in a horror film, it, you you really have to praise people who are just so sweet with the kids on set. Yeah. Because it's, it's tough stuff for a developing brain to handle, you know?
1: Totally. Totally. Because it's, you know, uh, there's always the question of do we really tell them the why? Right. Or do we just direct them scream here? Yeah. You know, like, it, I think it depends on the age and maybe, I don't know.
0: It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a tough it's, call. It, it's yeah. But they both decided they wanted to be uh, directors. Hell yeah. Because of working with him. And Hell we just yeah. love to see that, you know? We love
1: to see that. Pass it on to the next generation. Would 10 out of 10 watch whatever movie they end up directing?
0: Yeah. Also, oh my God. They're like, what a masterclass to receive. This is like, yeah. This is Donald Glover working with. Uh, Tina Fey than Dan Harmon. Yeah. And being like, okay, you couldn't really ask for a better comedy, like, instead of of comedic instructors at that time, you know?
1: Yeah. And that also informs us how he runs his set. Because think about it, like, if, if kids see someone and they look up to them, and normally it's because they bring some sort of fun or joy to their work. Yeah, right, yeah. and it so it maybe does you know so it doesn't feel like so much work. Like I've mm-hmm. seen you know I, I I used to intern at um, a, a Broadway camp, and I would see kids get inspired because it, these teachers would just bring in so much joy for what mm-hmm. they do, and so much it, it just it's just inspiring to watch. So that's that also informs us of how he uh, his demeanor on set and how he runs runs shit.
0: Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm going to shout out a few crew members here because, duh. Duh. So, first and foremost for me, cinematographer was Mike Giolakis.
1: Wonderful job.
0: Yeah. We've the talked boss. about him on the podcast before because yeah. he shot It Follows. Mm-hmm. He also shot uh, Under the Silver Lake.
1: Which makes so much sense. There's uh-huh. so much of It Follows in this as well with yeah. like the long shots and like the long zoom out. Like especially yeah. in the opening with the rabbits and everything, the long mm-hmm. zoom out—that's so it follows. Yeah, makes sense.
0: Um, he also rec- his most recent project he just shot was uh, Shyamalan's new film, Old.
1: Oh, cool! Which I'm
0: actually really excited for. Tentatively, you know.
1: Yeah, I've I've heard mixed things just from people. Conceptually, who... it's cool though to yeah. me. Like it's. I mean, I'll obviously watch it. Yeah, Duh.
0: yeah. But. He also shot one of my favorite. Uh, little indie movies called John Dies at the End.
1: Yeah, you do love that. I haven't seen it, but...
0: It's a re- it's really well done. Um, mm-hmm. The books are fantastic. I haven't read the third one. I'm waiting on it from yeah. the library right now, but um, the books by Jason Pargin, if you want to read them, uh, John Dies at the End, and this book is full of sp- spiders. Seriously, don't touch it. <laughs> I love the way he... And then the third one that I'm waiting on right now is uh, What the Hell Did I Just Read? They're un- they're very, very good horror books. Yeah. Um, and that movie is really fun. Mm-hmm. And confusing as fuck in a good way, amazing. Um, yeah, um, but yeah, uh, Gillick has worked a lot with um, with Shia Milan. He's now worked with Jordan Peele as well. He, yeah, obviously shot It Follows, Under the Silver Lake. Like, there's, he's got a good little uh, career going for him here, and I can't wait to see more from him. Yeah, um, the music was from Michael Abels, who also did the music. Uh, he was the composer for Get Out,
1: which. Genius. I don't know um, if this was like a collaboration or, you know, who decided, but we've got that awesome scene in the car where I Got Five On it is playing. Yeah. And then it's perfectly tied in with the end because we've got that mini Ripperton song that plays mm-hmm. in the credits. You can uh, probably say it better than me. Les Fleurs. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. My the flowers. French, my French is shit, but that melody is sampled in I Got Five On It. Uh-huh. And yet this and then you've got this ending where like the lyrics of that song also kind of perfectly in like this weird, dark, optimistic way wraps up the whole story. Mm -hmm. And then also you've got like in the context of this, you've got kind of like this upbeat song uh, with like multiple layers of vocals. And and it's just so eerie to hear that at the end of this, like already tear like straight up blood curdling. Horror film, you've got like this mini Ripperton jam, yeah, and it's as someone who loves music, and you love music as well. We both play music, all of that. Like,
0: I just made a fire beat the other day,
1: amazing, yeah. Um, that like, that's huge, you know. Like for mm-hmm. people who notice that, that's such like a deep cut that also. I don't know. I'm just I'm I'm just obsessing right now. I'm sorry.
0: No, 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 totally. Because I, I was just gonna say one of my favorite pieces that he did for this is a so he takes you, we've talked about this before and we'll talk about this more at the end but one of the greatest things he did in this movie um, for the soundtrack is that he took I Got Five on it just a very popular old school oh. hip hop song fucking great it's just it's just a bounce it's a vibe
1: it's about drugs it's not about drugs this song is dope <laughs> don't do drugs <laughs>
0: D- oh, god damn it Winston Duke so um, funny but he takes it and he t- he turns it into the it was in the um this in the trailer yeah. the pizzicato version with the like very Hans zimmer burr. and then yeah. he mixes it in the final fight scene with padadu de
1: because Nutcracker it is a padadu de
0: yeah and oh it's the God. pizzicato of that with the patadoo de and it's just like what the fuck dude where's your brain and how do i like link it to how do i link mine to yours not to get not to bring up get out again
1: uh-huh. <laughs> But yeah, and I feel like we can't skip over talking about music without talking about like the opening, kind of like the chanting. Oh God, um, the children chanting! The it's children So Rosemary's chanting. Baby,
0: it's so Omen, it's so just get like the me.
1: changeling. It's 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 all of yeah. all of these movies again steeped in reference. Like, yeah. and I'm just gonna keep like bringing it up in little pieces here as as we go. But that are, but that's another example. Yeah, yeah.
0: The film editing, I also want to shout out because. It is from one of my favorite editors, and it's so well done. It's so good. The edits, the cuts in this are fucking perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is from Nicholas Monsour, who has been working with Key and Peele since the beginning of both of their careers.
1: Amazing. Love that.
0: Edited on Drunk History. Key Peel, Peele. Uh, Keanu, the movie he did with Keegan-Michael Key. He has also edited The Twilight Zone.
1: <laughs> He's just his guy. Yeah. That's, that happens a lot in, in the film industry. It's like, yeah. I got a guy.
0: And then uh, the last one I'm going to shout out is going to be the production designer because it was so well done. Uh, production and set decoration. Oh, yeah. Um, so production designer was Ruth DeJong, who is one of my favorite production designers. She's worked on so many movies that are so fucking well done. Mm-hmm.
1: Um,
0: she actually has a pretty short list of credits, but in that list of credits are like several Oscars um, <laughs> uh, between the art department and uh, the production design. So she worked... On There Will Be Blood. Nice. Tree of Life. Nice. The Master. Love it. Manchester by the Sea. Awesome. Twin Peaks The Return. Hell yes. And Us.
1: That's that's a pretty wonderful list.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the last person I want to shout out here is the set decorator, because the set decoration is absolutely amazing in this, and some of the biggest nerdiness in here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Florencia Martin.
1: Awesome. Yeah. I mean, there's even, um, I think in one of the opening shots, there's... Um, Tons of VHSs of like Nightmare on Elm Street, um,
0: the Goonies, the Goonies,
1: etc. You There's know, even like- <laughs> such a
0: because it's set. The opening shot is 1986. The opening yes. scenes are, and I love that she just threw in a little. Um, this is for our younger listeners. There were these things called uh, VHSs. They ran on magnetic tape. <laughs> uh, they were large cassettes, which you can now see at Urban Outfitters, which mm-hmm. with music on them. Those are the small ones. Those are cassette tapes. The VHS was an inferior product to the beta but marketing yada yada and you would record on your VCR which played VHS's to catch a movie that was on uh, TV that you didn't own but you wanted to have or catch up on your soap operas I
1: loved doing that I have so or I had so many VHS's of like pop stars that I loved Mm -hmm. their interviews I kept all of them
0: (laughs) hours of General Hospital
1: Oh my god! Yeah, my mom would tape General Hospital when she yep. wouldn't be home from three to four or whenever it came yeah. on. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, but she also worked worked on Manchester by the Sea. Uh, she worked on A Single Man, uh, mm. which is a very good movie. Uh, Mad Men, uh, House, Parks and Recreation, and uh, recently on Birds of Prey, the uh, the Great. Harley Quinn yeah girl gang fight DC movie. Thing. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but <laughs> um, yeah, it is from. the production company was Jordan Peele's production company, Monkey Paw, and I love their little intro title card Yeah, uh, with the the monkey's paw stirring the tea from Get Out on the train, and it's clearly like a New York it's all these little nods to his own sort of stuff and I love that. Totally. Um, And Perfect World Pictures as well. Um, Distribution was from Universal Pictures. Yeah. Uh, Jason Bloom, again, was back on this Uh, he's really been just so great in getting Jordan Peele's movies out there. Mm -hmm. Um, I really appreciate that he's highlighting a black horror director for sure. It was released in March of 2019 at South by Southwest. Mm-hmm. And then a couple weeks later, uh, exactly two weeks later, it got its wide release. I saw this almost as soon as it came out. Um, yeah. It was, you remember that.
1: <laughs> I think so.
0: So I went with one of my very good friends and roommate. Uh, Chris Lopez, who is a big friend of the pod. We'll have him on eventually.
1: Was that when Uh, I picked you guys up from the restaurant, or was that a different movie? That was that one. Oh. So we have a
0: tradition of going to see horror films together, and one of us will buy the tickets, and one of us will buy a pint of, um, we'll call it Happy Fun Time Juice for each of us and I we got our wires crossed on who was doing which so I bought the tickets and then I was like oh he's running late I'll just go ahead and grab our uh, I'll grab our juice well he also grabbed juice. juice and we watched this movie and it was amazing and we had a blast and then we're like oh shit we should really go get some Mexican food and it's like there's a place right by here we can go Nicole comes to uh meet us and we are hammered at a Mexican restaurant housing chips and guac and enchiladas I
1: don't think I've ever asked for a mezcal quicker I was like oh my god because I (laughs) was I I think I was it was like a it was like a weekend or whatever so I was doing chores or something all day like hadn't seen another person (laughs) so I was like oh god
0: that was it's just a fun memory of mine I have a very fond memory the first time I watched this movie and every time I watched this movie but the first time I saw it was a lot of fun for sure um yeah, nice tight runtime, just under two hours, mm-hmm. uh, and it was shot for twenty million, made two hundred and fifty five back at the box office. As it should. Yeah, I just absolutely love it. Yep. Yeah. Um, so please take this wheel away from me before I steer us into a crash because I'm still coming up on my meds.
1: Oh goodness. Okay, so uh, what happens in the damn thing is. We start out with a little bit, with a foreword. It says that, you know, there are many underground tunnels in the U.S. that have no known purpose. Yeah. So we're in 1986, like you said. We've got a young girl. She's maybe six, seven, something like that, named Adelaide. She's watching a commercial for Hands Across America, which was, you know, this gesture. Yeah, it that, was. So we, yeah. it,
0: was, uh, it was an event that this guy, uh, King Cragen, um, organized so this was uh it was part of it it paired with um we are the world yeah so it was a usa for africa it was like an aid organization to help with the famines in africa in the 80s um it was yeah it was to fight famine in africa and hunger and homelessness in the united states
1: but like a lot of these huge hugely publicized movements it's more about publicity than anything yeah um so it, it was a gesture i would say um
0: Yeah, and the point was to make a contiguous line across the the continental U.S. Yeah, um, from holding hands. Yeah, from Santa Monica to New York City.
1: Yes. So uh, we're it's it's nighttime. We're at the Santa Cruz Beach boardwalk. She leaves her parents and goes into like a fun house, which already terrifying. Yeah. Carnivals just have are the perfect setting for or like state fairs are like the perfect setting for a horror film because they're already just a little bit off putting. Mm-hmm. But but yet they have they're supposed to be like this fun, joyous, um, childlike, playful place.
0: You might call them uh, traditionally gothic.
1: Yeah. And fun houses are scary. I I never went in one after watching that one Rugrats episode.
0: One of the most inaptly named Yeah, things. it's not
1: fun at all. No, don't like it. Um, so she sees... You would think it's a reflection, but it's not. Right. Because she gets grabbed yes. by this quote-unquote reflection. It's a doppelganger in the House of Mirrors. Uh, then we flash forward to, like, years later. We it's see, present day, yeah. It's present. Yeah, it's present day. We've got an adult Adelaide. She's going on vacation with Gabe, her husband, and Zora and Jason, her children. She's, you know, we can kind of see that she's a little bit hesitant to go on the trip. She's, you know, not excited to go to the beach. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's... She keeps having kind of like flashbacks from when she got separated from her parents and kind of the recovery that came with that. Like they went to a counselor, they went to, you know, so many different people because she like kind of stopped talking or, you know, so we think. Um, And this is how she gets into dance, because they say, okay, give her any sort of outlet to express herself that maybe doesn't involve words. Yeah. So, this is how she becomes like a ballerina. Okay, so we're at the beach. We're in present day. We meet up with Kitty and Josh. And um, they're twin daughters at the beach. And they're just, you know, they're chilling. Kitty's drinking. Adelaide is not. She's like, I got water. And um, they're just like, they're just hanging out on the beach. But then. Um, on the way there, it, it, like, you know, it just starts getting creepy. They see paramedics taking away like a bloody body bag of an older man. Um, and, you know, she's like, kids don't look like stop. And of course, they're like, what's going on? Um, and then Jason sees someone who looks like the old man. And, yeah, which is, on his uh,
0: way to the bathroom when he gets separated, it's all the, there's a lot of uh-huh, mirroring. Going yes, on here. Yes,
1: exactly. So, um Jason, just like Adelaide did when she was younger, is like, I gotta go to the bathroom and runs off and, and goes into the same like house of fun. Well he get
0: he's right by there, but he doesn't go in. He just goes oh, to the bathroom. Oh, that's true. Yeah. That's true.
1: He's in the bathroom that's like right by there. And of course Adelaide notices he's gone and is kinda like freaking out, like, where is he? Where is he? And then she's like, Never you know, you can't go somewhere without telling me, yo. Mm-hmm. Like this is triggering to me so it's that night they're you know winding down from their beach day they're you know just being a family cute family on the beach and they're in their summer home
0: gabe's like i'm gonna watch the dodgers i'm gonna watch the i'm gonna watch the giants highlights and then i'll uh meet you back in the uh magic room
1: yeah yeah they're being really (laughs) cute and silly i should i should mention the boat scene where he initially buys a boat it's really funny um, and it's, he's like, it fears to the left, but like, I got it for super cheap. And like, oh, it's called the Craw Daddy or something. Yeah. Like, it's really funny. Yeah, um, Daddy,
0: Craw Daddy. It's,
1: it's an adorable moment. Like, the engine goes out and he's like, he's like, wait, he told me how to like fix this. And he's like, hitting it and then he like gives up and it starts going and then he almost falls off the butt. It's great. It's fantastic. Um, it's just a lovely moment that endears you to this family, um, even more than you already are. And,
0: and yeah, and uh, Zora and, Adelaide are talking shit back and forth. Yeah, they're it's just like, very ugh. cute.
1: They're just like, oh, he got a boat. Like, what is he doing? Like, this is so, this is corny. This like, is chuggy. Yeah, this is this is chuggy. Um, so, so that night, the the power goes out, and they're all like, oh god, what the fuck? And they're talking about you know how their richer friends kitty and josh have like a backup generator and they're like yeah. arguing about that but then one of the kids is like there's a family in our driveway and and gabe is like what no there's not a family in the driveway and then he's like yeah there is and he's like okay all right he like goes and grabs a bat and he's like yo well, he first
0: he first he's like yo this is just our beach house can you leave us alone please? yeah like, he's very very he's like Don't oh yeah call that's true it. there's then no need he to goes call the he, cops yeah. then natalie's he goes like immediately bat. calling the cops and yeah. he's like not it's fine like chill
1: he's like they're probably they might be lost like uh, let's just try to go help them like do whatever or
0: maybe they're just the neighbors and he's just like look we'll just chat like it's fine
1: yeah so he goes out there and they're not they're not moving so and they're just you know they're standing with their uh holding each other's hands just like the hands across america imagery Mm-hmm. Um, all that. And so he's like, OK, y'all aren't going to move. OK, so now I got to go get my bat. So he goes out there and gets the bat. And then um, his doppelganger starts walking towards him. And he's like, yo, yo like back up. I've got a bat. And uh, it's like Adelaide has called the police and they're not they're like 15 minutes away. And she's like, that's too long. Zora has run away because she left her window open and yeah. you know it's it, it it very quickly descends into some madness and chaos so they do they are successful with breaking into the house um this family and we very quickly find out that they're all they're doppelgangers mm-hmm. we're, we're seeing we're seeing um mirror images you know um e- they even include you know Pluto, which is jason's uh double and we learned that he has like um a lot of scarring like kind of from the nose down
0: it looks like it's burn scars it's
1: burn scars for sure um and he's and the thing is is that jason i shouldn't mention this because it does come into play later jason is kind of you know an eccentric kid like an oddball yeah he's he likes goofy. magic he's he likes magic he likes pranks he likes fire and so does his doppelganger yeah so um then we've got umbre who's Zora's double, and Abraham, who is Gabe's double, and they're all led by Red, Adelaide's double, and she's the only one who can speak, and it's in this very unsettling, like, raspy, um, broken voice. It's very guttural. It's very, um... I don't even want to imitate it, because I just don't, I just can't. It's broken,
0: um, and like, and I love, there's a choice here that Lupita makes, where she goes, every time she hits the letter T, mm-hmm. and something follows it, She breaks.
1: Oh, yeah. She goes, she says, like, to Ethered. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's almost as if someone survived, like, a very, like, someone has inhaled some serious, like, fire. Mm -hmm. So between that and the burn scars from the sun, you can kind of infer what has maybe gone on. Oh, we know exactly Um, what happens to her. Yeah. 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 Uh, At this point though, we can kind of infer maybe what's gone on, um, but we also still have the question of why is she the only one who can speak? Um, But that also leads you to believe that she could be the leader because she is the only one who has the ability to speak even in this raspy guttural voice that is very alarming. Yeah, so she explains everything um, saying that we're here to untether ourselves and they have some gold scissors which becomes a huge symbol in this. Yeah and she tells them you know that that adelaide has lived a life of comfort and joy and has eaten turkey warm turkey on thanksgiving they had to eat a rabbit raw Mm -hmm. and uh the toys on christmas were soft and cuddly but theirs were sharp and cold and like all of these like we are different because we came into the world different Mm -hmm. and uh it's kind of calling out their privilege that they're They're no different other than how they came into the world. Yeah. And that's an interesting commentary that we'll get to in the analysis portion. But yeah, basically, she lives a mirrored, painful version of what Adelaide has been living her whole life. Mm -hmm. Um, And she hates her for it. Who, Who wouldn't? Honestly. Honestly, Red, I get it. That fucking sucks. So then all hell breaks loose. They all start (laughs) fighting their own doppelgangers. Um, We kind of follow Gabe first, and he ends up killing Abraham with the boat. Yeah. With the motor from the back of the boat. And Adelaide ends up being, like, handcuffed. Uh, Jason learns that Pluto completely mirrors his actions.
0: And traps him using Uh, that, yeah.
1: Yes. And they manage to escape via the boat. Right. Uh, So they're... (laughs) Zora and Adelaide are eating their words. <laughs> what they made fun of just now saved them. Um, so they go to their they go to their friend's house. They're yeah. on their way. They're yeah. on their way. But meanwhile, it's right across the bay, yeah, yeah. But meanwhile, the same thing is happening to the Tyler family. Uh, they also are a family of four. Yeah. So they're kind of ambushed and end up being murdered by their own tethered. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: Horrifying moment for the parents here. Even though uh, Kitty and Josh suck. Yeah. And their daughters suck. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have to watch their daughters be stabbed to death in front of them yeah. before they die.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the Wilsons, our other family, arrive and they're attacked as well. They're, you know, they're they're uh, once again fighting mm-hmm. um, and they finally overpower and kill all of the doubles that are there. And this causes them to realize, like, we're not the only ones with doppelgangers. We like it's it must be everyone, because I think it's a huge realization for Adelaide because she's probably thinking like because she was so young, she's probably thinking like this she's coming from me and Mm -hmm. that's it. You know, like she wants something from me. But this is a huge realization that everyone has a doppelganger and it's a bigger problem. Than what anyone anyone had thought previously. Yeah. Um, so they turn on the news and they see exactly what they were fearing. All of the tethered are um, attacking people, and there's and once they've killed their specific doppelganger, they join in on the human chain again. Mm-hmm. The hands across America imagery. Um, so. The Wilsons are like, okay, we're going to Mexico. We're going to escape. We're going to get out of here. We're going to, we're, f- fuck this shit. I'm out. Um, and so while oh, they're. And
0: there's that cute little uh, tallying of who's killed how, how many.
1: Yeah, because they're like, they're like trying to figure out. This is another kind of like comic moment, like a dark comedy moment where they're like trying to figure out who's going to drive. Yeah. And um, And Gabe is like, I killed two. I killed two. And um, everyone's like, one, one, two. And then they're like, no, actually, I did this. I did that. Yeah. And it's like, it's funny. And then Zora's- I killed the
0: twin. I killed both the twins. No, you didn't. No, you didn't.
1: I just oh. killed the, the second one or whatever.
0: I killed Kitty. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's it's really funny. And then- Horrifying. Um, eventually, Zora's like, is like, mom, you're handcuffed. Dad, your leg is fucked up. Like, I'm driving. Like, period. And so they, um, they let her drive, but Umbre attacks the car. Yeah, And Zora is just like, you know, she starts speeding, she stops really quickly, kills her by, you know, she, stopping, she hits a tree, she's dead. Um, so that's that. Yeah, Adelaide has to go she's over impaled. and check it out. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they get back to the boardwalk and um, everyone, it, it's, it's just, a, it's a nightmare. Everyone's mm-hmm. been like slaughtered. Um, they find the road blocked by a burning car and they realize that it's it's their car because they took the the Tyler's car. Yeah, um, because that's where they were. And so they uh, Pluto kind of emerges from the car or from around the car. whatever. Underneath. Yeah. Underneath. Yeah. And we realize um, that it's a trap that was uh, set by Pluto. And I should mention that this is the first time that um, Jason is able to ignite his little like magic trick Mm -hmm. fire starter thingy. I'm sorry, I don't do magic. I don't know the proper terminology.
0: It's a little flint Uh, thing.
1: Yeah, it's like a friction flint, you know, um, flame starter. But anyway, it's the it's the first time that he's actually had a spark. And it's really cute because Zora looks at him and just like gives him a fist bump like, dope and then but then they they show up and that's when we see the car on fire so Mm -hmm. there's that whole parallel doppelganger thing like he started a fire he's finally able to spark it yeah like you know it's, it's again that duality thing uh but jason start is smart and he starts backing away yeah knowing that pluto will mirror him so pluto ends up going into the into the burning car um, Pluto dies and Red suddenly appears and just like snatch Jason like such you took my shot. kid I take yours um,
0: such a good shot
1: oh it's awesome and it's because scary. she's literally hiding
0: in the they got a car that perfectly matched the jumpsuit color yes and she's bent over and then she just stands up and you're like where the fuck was she and she was in plain sight the whole time yes Wild. and
1: and you you don't know it and and her physicality in this moment is amazing because it's not a, like a common looking run it's very like her about to snatch him like she looks like monstrous physicality if that makes sense she's making her body do what she's doing to her voice she's manipulating it in a a way that's like you can differentiate Addie from
0: yeah uh it reminds me somewhat of the dance scene in in Annihilation
1: yeah, uh, Lupita in, a, in an interview did say that she took um, a lot of dance classes and a lot of movement classes mm-hmm. to prepare for this and then worked with um, Jordan Peele to make it, like, quote-unquote, fucked up. Like, yeah. make it graceful, but, like, fucked up and weird. Yeah. Because um, he described her character or her two characters as queen and cockroach. Interesting. Yeah, like, you've got that, like, stillness... In both, mm-hmm. but then you've also just got this like skittery, skittery, like creepy thing, and I think that that was a really great way to describe it. And that's what you know,
0: almost like a marionette because she mentions puppets, yeah,
1: and that really came across, I think. Um, but anyway, uh, we're let's see. So she snatched Jason and um, Gabe is kind of like tending to his own wounds with Zora in an ambulance. Your mom's got
0: this. She knows what she's
1: doing. (laughs) It's a a cute moment. And then Adelaide is chasing Red to the fun house where they first met. Full circle! Yay! Um, So they find like a secret entrance that goes to this underground facility that's just like filled with little little rabbits just chilling. Um, And she finds Red who's run into a classroom. And Red is cutting up some paper.
0: Her back's turned the entire time. Her back's time. turned the
1: entire time, but you can she's using the scissors. Um and this is when Red explains that the tethered are basically a government uh experiment to try to control citizens. Yeah. Basically. And the experiment failed and they were just abandoned underground forever. Just mindlessly uh, mimicking the actions of their, you know, doppelgangers yeah. and um, surviving on these rabbits. That's all they had. That's all they Oof. had. But then they realized that Red was different and she was like, OK, we're going to escape and we're going to revenge, have revenge by murdering um, our doppelgangers so that we can live up there. Yeah, so and we can s- live in
0: the underneath the sky and in the light.
1: Yes. So Red and Adelaide, you know, start fighting and Red Red is very good at dodging and Adelaide is very bad at catching her <laughs> or at like striking her. Yeah. Um so Adelaide Kind of like has a moment where she's like, "Okay, I'm just gonna like let her." She's been me. stabbed
0: and sliced, and
1: yeah, and then she impales Red with a fireplace poker and strangles her, breaks her neck, and then finds Jason in a locker and rescues him. So Adelaide gets in the ambulance and drives the family away. Um, she is remembering the night that she first met Red in the Hall of Mirrors. And what we learn now, what we might have inferred, but what we learn concretely now is that uh, the doppelganger choked Adelaide unconscious, um, damaging her larynx, and dragged her underground, handcuffed her, and then returned above ground to take Adelaide's place, eventually learning to speak in the same way that, you know, children learn to speak first. It's just being immersed in it. Mm -hmm. And she adjusts to life above ground I guess and Jason looks suspiciously at his, at, at Adelaide or his mother um, and gives him like a sly kind of like a smile
0: I wouldn't even call it that I, I would that's what it says on it's, it. It's, it's like
1: synopsis. a sm- it's like a smirk but I, thought,
0: I always thought it was trying to be like reassuring
1: yeah, and I mean she she is really connected to Jason in a way. There was even a conspiracy that was like, well, maybe Jason was also switched, and that's why, um, and that's why uh, she has such a care for him or something. Huh. I don't know. There there was some solid evidence to back it up, but I don't. Nobody has confirmed it, uh, so I'm not gonna go too deep into it, but. Now we've got kind of a closing shot of, or the Tethereds, making that human chain. It's very long now. Um, <laughs> again, replicating that Hands Across America imagery. And it stretches for miles. And we've got news helicopters flying overhead. Yep. And that that's it, my friends. Oy. Yep. Yeah. It's a lot.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a heavy plot. Uh, it's a fantastic movie. It is woof. Uh. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> It's it's a lot. I will say what's really fun and I think that this is to be said about thrillers, horror movies, action movies, anything where a reality is altered. It's always going to be fun watching people figure out the rules and what to do in this new reality. Yeah. That's what keeps you know those genres of movies exciting, you know, and kind of keeps the narrative keeps you on your toes because that's the biggest question in this is that uh, the rules are completely flipped. This is an unprecedented event and everyone and we follow this one family, but they're the ones who feel or at least Adelaide feels responsible and she's having to adapt and adjust to the new rules of the reality
0: yeah, I mean, there's so many different reasons why this is one of my favorite horror films. I'd say of all time. Um, yeah, it's maybe a recency bias. It only came out two years ago, right? Right. But fuck, man. Um, I just can't get it out of my head. I think about this cast or this this film all the fucking time. Mm-hmm. Just because of the depth and the layers of it. Just because it's so wonderfully put together. It's so conceptually cool. There are always going to be plot holes, and I just don't give a shit. Yeah. But it's just, oh, man, it's really, really good. And I, I there's so many things I want to talk about, so why don't we jump into one of them? Um, <clears throat> so one thing that everybody wants to talk about when it comes to this movie, and I don't want to spend a ton of time on it, but it is a really nice, it is it is the one of the overarching sort of, like I guess, motifs of the film. Yeah. Is the Jeremiah 1111 verse. Yes. Uh, classic case of using biblical reference in horror films. Can't mm-hmm. pass it up. So everybody wants to know what the fuck is going on with that, right? Mm-hmm. So the best reading of it I found was from Rosie Fletcher in Den of Geek. One of my, I love Den of Geek. Yeah. Um. So we never actually see the verse in the film. The like what the uh, the text of the verse says. Yeah. But everybody keeps going to the uh, King James version of the Bible, which yeah. is a very bad translation of the Bible, I must say. Um, also, where we get the where we get Lucifer, but
1: because
0: mm-hmm. Lucifer just means yeah, uh, like a brilliant one essentially yeah. in Latin Vulgate, uh, and it's never capitalized, and then they name it that anyway. Right. So here it is in the King James. Therefore, thus saith the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. Right? Okay. So yeah. Jeremiah is a doomsayer prophet. Right? There's a bunch of these prophets in uh, the Christian version version of the what they call the Old Testament. Right? Yes. Um,
1: and it's Jeremiah eleven eleven, which again plays into that twin duality type situation. Yeah. There's four
0: of them, and it's mirrored. Yeah. it it, it comes up again and again.
1: Can't get any better than that. It's perfect. <laughs>
0: um, so, basically, uh, the big read I'm not going to go deep into this article. I will post it in our footnotes, but I'm not going to go deep into the article. But it is a very good one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, comes down to false gods. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that was a big one. Uh, t- turning their eyes from the one true God, so yeah. to speak. Um, there's a lot of debate around that. But anyway, um, don't need to get into a whole religious lecture here. Mm-hmm. Um. So what the, the false gods is the best read I've seen on it. Uh, we have Gabe worshiping capitalism, essentially. Yeah. Keeping up with the Joneses mm-hmm. or well, the Tylers in this mm-hmm. um, chasing a life that is essentially meaningless uh, in that he already has everything he needs. Right. Yeah. He has a loving wife that he has a good relationship with. He has kids who are really great. Yeah. Um, you've got Zora who's obsessed with her phone. Mm-hmm. Um, we see that time and again, like she's just never off of it, yeah, we've got Jason, who is constantly distracted by new hobbies, but particularly hides behind a mask from the world and is obsessed with magic, so magic, not god, yada yada right,
1: yeah,
0: um, and Adelaide, who is we find out
1: <laughs> yeah uh
0: I, I i hers is hard, but then you also see it with the Tylers even more explicitly, right, yeah. Uh, Kitty with, um, you know, hates her husband, loves doing work on her, getting work done on her face, plastic surgeries, etc. Yeah. Vanity. Vanity. Yeah, Yeah. that's the one. The twins are dismissive and just rude and bad kids. Yeah. Um, And then Josh is drunk and stupid and all about possessions and shit. Yeah. Um, It's not a perfect one-to-one, but I don't think it's supposed to be, you know? Um, but they're not focusing on what's important, which is family and togetherness. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. OK. Yeah. Um, that's the that's the best read. The, the article goes into it much better. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a very, very good piece. But mm-hmm. so that, that's kind of really the biggest thing about the 1111. Um, there's way more yeah. to read into it, like I said. But mm-hmm. um, one really good point in the, that article, the last one I'm going to bring up from it is that Adelaide finally shows compassion to one of the tethered, something they've never had. Yeah. In Pluto. Yes. She tries to say, like, look, come with us. It's, we, we, let's just fix this. But it's yeah. a too little, too late. Yes. Um, obviously, we can talk about this as an allegory for race in America. Those yeah. who live above and in the light are privileged and squander it, those who live below.
1: And again, are only privileged by the way that they came into this world.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. And one was under the thumb of the government and, and under the thumb of the untethered or it's the, the above or whatever.
1: It's also a commentary on like how the government doesn't care about about us. There was no like doesn't really you know, there was yeah. no backup plan to if this thing failed, which it did. There was no care. There was nothing. They just said, put them put them in the tunnels and yeah. the rabbits. They just you said, know?
0: you're free. You don't have to do anything anymore.
1: And it's like, well, y- y- you, like, genetically made us. Like, we don't really understand how to do anything.
0: Yeah. it's uh, You didn't
1: teach us or program The us. promise
0: of the 40 acres and a mule. And uh, where is that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm thinking about a lot of this. We are, I, obviously, two white folks. Uh, <laughs> yes. And uh, we are not going to be able to, comment, to this, comment on this as deeply as we would like to be able to. Um, but that's the surface read that i can give it without going deeper and without having the lived experience yeah um and you know having tried my best to educate myself in every way i can about this but that's there's a lot here that we could go deeper into but i don't feel super qualified talking about
1: yeah and i have um so i have a a a quote from an interview from from jordan field himself that's much better than me speculating Yeah, about on putting a black family in the film. I already touched on, you know, he was like... He was like, I just want to see a black family on a beach. God damn it. But... Aside from that, he said, just by putting a black family in the center of this movie, which is not about race, we see shades of what it means to be African American that aren't out there. Part of the systemic failure in representation is that we are relegated to boxes. And I think even if it's something that feels simple or not particularly imaginative, like a black family on the beach, I think it's important. And has a great effect both within the community and outside of the African-American community to continue to present the spectrum of what we are and how we deserve to be represented.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Which is, yeah, I mean, he didn't want this. He, it is a it is a political commentary, but it's not like particularly about race, according to him.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's stuff that I see that burns through is more what I mean. Like we've talked yeah. about that. We talked about this with um, a girl walks home alone at night.
1: Well, and when you when when you start talking about um, privilege, it it kind of automatically goes there. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, yeah. it has to.
0: There's the the actual intention of what you tried to make with the project, and then there's you know what comes through that you thought about. You know.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like w- once you start talking about um, privilege, you you have to acknowledge who are the privileged, Mm -hmm. you know, absolutely. You can't, you kind of can't get away from that.
0: Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, I do want to talk about some of the stuff that I am qualified to talk about,
1: Yeah, (laughs) which is
0: how fucking cool this movie is. Yeah. How nerdy and how cool it is. Yeah. So there's a few bits here that I really want to pull. Obviously we want to talk about why, why we think he's like John Carpenter part two. Yes. And obviously we're going to say that is not to put him in J- Carpenter's shadow but to say that he just has the same kinds of sensibilities
1: yeah. that Carpenter
0: has and that he can be his own director and that I'm not trying to put him in a box about this but it is so clear how much he loves Carpenter.
1: Yeah, and, and again he he did such a wonderful job um, on you know something that we talk about quite often where, you know, steep it in reference like if, it, you know horror is one of those genres where it's, it's a big genre, but at the same time, it's a small one. Like you've got some big fishes that we've all seen films by and they're wonderful. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, but you've as, as an own, as your own identity, you should put your own perspective on it. And I think that there is not another movie like this. And like with him taking, you know, references and, and shots and stuff, There still is not another movie like this. No. You know, like he did his own thing, but yet kind of was able to express his love for the genre at the same time.
0: Yeah. I mean, like. I even see references to, like, they live in here.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to keep throwing, you know, quotes from him out because I just read so many interviews and I think that and they just keep applying. Sure. Um, this is him on using, like, picture perfect images in horror, which is something we talk about a lot is, yeah. like, taking something that's very pristine and then just turning the dial a little little bit over to the dark side. So he said, I think that's my style. My favorite horror images are the beautiful ones that are subverted. This is why I was drawn to the Stepford Wives and movies like Jaws and The Shining appeal to me is that when you have something idyllic and beautiful and sort of perfect, that's where true horror lies. In this movie, it's even to present the shiny, happy, hands across America version of our culture with the promise of the darkness underneath.
0: That's they live. That's yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, so
1: yeah, to your point, he he did just that. He was yeah. like, I want to take all of the things that I loved watching or still love watching and put my own spin on it. And God damn it, he did. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, like, I, and so when I when I talk about Carpenter, I want to get really nerdy for a second because they both are too.
1: Okay, fine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, Jordan. Peel shoots in a way that is so reflective of particularly halloween um when we get into the funhouse sequence when we see adelaide wander away we go from wide shots to close follows Mm -hmm. um and front follows right so he there's a camera operator likely on a dolly just slowly tracking backwards Mm -hmm. um so like we were talking about like comparing him to like Sam Raimi, you yeah. can't. They're not. They're not even the same kind of person. As much as he loves Raimi, and he said that before, they're just completely different directors. Yeah, um, Raimi is all about fast moving, mo- like fifteen thousand shots in splatter one splatter
1: and gore. Well,
0: yeah, but even just like yeah. in camera operation, right? We yeah. talked about this with um, recently with uh, uh, Drag, not Drag Me to Hell. Yeah, Drag Me to Hell. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. We talked about this recently with Drag Me to Hell, where the Raimi like we talked about the Raimi sequence and breaking that down about how it's about 15 different cuts that yeah. are all super fast and then one long one
1: mm-hmm.
0: he there's no fast cuts here the camera's very very still throughout most of this movie and yeah. when it does move it moves slowly there's not a lot of jump cuts there's not a lot of like quick reverses Yeah, you know there's nothing like that yeah um, most of the cuts are actually to mirrored scenes right so yes Thinking here, um, and this is where I'll compare him to somebody like Garland mm-hmm. uh, as well. And I mentioned the Annihilation dance sequence. Yeah. The dance sequence in this totally. is one of my favorites. And the using da- dance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So using dance as. Using dance in horror films needs to happen more. One, because dancers know how to use their bodies in wonderful, mm-hmm. interesting, creepy as shit ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so he. It's this fight in a hallway, mm-hmm. right? The final fight between Adelaide and Red, mm-hmm. and it's where we start to realize that Adelaide was the tethered.
1: It's yes. like where we
0: start get it's where we get more of the confirmation, right? Yes, we do get the full concrete reveal. But even even without that, it would be fantastic. Yeah. to leave it there, you know, you don't need it to to do that yeah so I, I I just will watch I've watched the scene on its own multiple times just because it's so amazingly done between the lighting the music the choreography
1: and it was smart to use dance as her expressive art form because again relating it back what other art forms use mirrors as much uh-huh you know, it's exactly. just again, it's just yep. again the details it's that just he's layered. layering. It's in. heavy-handed
0: as shit, but I'm fine with that. I yeah. don't mind a heavy hand when it's re- when the hand is that deft. You know, yeah, you can be yeah. deft and or you can be you can be dexterous and heavy-handed. Look for at sure. me, I play mandolin, but I've got fucking hands like that were made for holding hammers. Yes, <laughs> four um, over here. <laughs> so yeah, the, the the choreography of that shot is so fucking fantastic, and it is such a like. And this is what I'm, I'm saying all these directors' names to show you just like he's this culmination of so many other people.
1: He's even, and I'm sorry, I'm interrupting you. But this is short. He's even Lynch. Yeah. He's even Lynch because yep. his idea for this is maybe the evil is in us all along. Mm-hmm. And that is Lynch as hell. That's the whole like, that was yep. like our thesis that we ended on on our Twin Peaks episode. Yes. You know, we we talked about that so much. So he even, you know, he's even he's even Lynch. Yeah, yeah. and
0: using a lot of dreamy shots. Yes. That reverse shot of and Adelaide and Red. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So back to the, the dance sequence. Yes. So this is something that Carpenter's never done, a dance sequence like this, because he tends to do... His films are a lot heavier.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, and I mean that like like physical weight yeah of like it's it's all very grounded as goofy as it gets, you don't have a lot of like quick moving lithe or like agile characters. yeah, even when you've got you know Jamie Lee Curtis who's a fucking stick in Halloween. yeah, she doesn't move like somebody who's that that body style. She doesn't know how to use her body, so she's clumsy. People in his movies are clumsy.
1: Yeah, and yeah, and that was definitely that was definitely his point. Kind of doing like a teen movie. Teens are clumsy.
0: Oh yeah, totally. In Halloween, yes, yes. yes. Sorry, I was was taking a second to follow you there. But then look at Garland. All of his characters float. Yeah. Right. Like this is a thing in video games that we talk about sometimes when we do all these comparisons because I think they are very. It's very apt to compare these those two genres. Yeah. Um. They're both. Semi, well, one's a heavily interactive medium. I think films are fairly interactive, more than people say they are. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a whole other debate. But so we're talking you know, floaty versus crisp. For sure. Right? And this is floaty versus clumsy. And I don't mean floaty in like they could just like pop off the earth at any moment. I mean that they glide through. Yeah. You don't feel the footsteps in a Garland movie. Yeah. You feel the footsteps in a Carpenter movie. Right? Agreed. Like, yeah. No character, regardless of their body size, you don't, you, they always are very grounded in where they stand. And Garland lets things float through because he does like to operate in a lot of uh, sort of more dreamy sequences. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Even in things he writes that he doesn't direct, but thinking specifically of Ex Machina and of Annihilation. Yeah. You never feel the characters move. They just do. And I think that this is a nice combination of those two. Yeah. Here in this particular sequence. Because Adelaide regresses to her tethered state. While Red glides around her, taking decisive, quick, but unfelt steps. She's just out of the way. She's air. She's, she's smoke.
1: That's a good point.
0: She's a shadow. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah exactly. And I think
0: it's so brilliant there yeah. that she's not the original shadow, yet she becomes the shadow in this moment. Because you can't attack your own shadow. Yeah. And only by letting go and releasing. It's a very like Obi-Wan moment, right? When she finally mm-hmm. kills Red. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's, it's just fucking cool. And it's yeah. having Adelaide, who's been, with in here again. So back to the mirrored shots. The fight cut, fight scene is intercut between, or the dance fight is intercut between the memories of them dancing as teenagers, right? Yeah. And this is the pas de deux. Mm-hmm. And it's Adelaide on stage dancing beautifully and gorgeously, it, it, just all these like brilliant, brilliant ballet moves. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Red, who's doing this very like avant garde. Like Stravinsky moving around. Yeah. Um, so Stravinsky versus Tchaikovsky, right? V- the same idea, heavy, grounded, Floaty. light and airy. Yeah. Yep. No, and I think a, that I I, th- I think that's where his brain was, if I can guess. When he
1: regardless, like, that's an interesting analysis. So yeah. I think it's valuable in 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 its own right.
0: Yeah, I just it's those sorts of shots that make me feel so inspired by him as a director.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, like director to director, I'm like, fuck, dude, that's good. Like that's the kind of shit that I. Try to think about like For I sure. when I write scripts, even I write them as a director because I want to think about how the shot breaks down. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think he does the same thing, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, what about your favorite shots? What are What are some of yours?
1: I mean, there, there, there are so many. What the first thing that comes to mind is honestly the slow um, zoom out in the beginning of the rabbit cages. Um, oh yeah. Because I I just think it's again it's really. Like it's called an establishing shot for a reason, um, and this establishes kind of what the whole movie is about, but in one shot and using like animals, because there there are dark and light rabbits, mm-hmm. in, in and the, mixed and mixed. Like I don't I don't think that that was a mistake, um, and there's they're all in their own cages, and. And what I mean about the dark and the light is that that's a huge theme in this. Like the dark is the is the underground or the underworld, which mm-hmm. in traditional you know mythology that's what we think of. Oh, we can get and, in some
0: mythology on this too.
1: Yeah, and then we've got you know the white and the mixed rabbits, which are probably representative of the above world, <laughs> the underworld and the above world. I don't know. Yeah. Um. I don't know. Um. And and they're all again they're all in cages.
0: Yeah, I mean, the first thing it brings to mind for me is experimentation.
1: Yeah, exactly. It kind of... It sets you up for so many different things. It sets you up as, like, there's duality, and then it sets you up for um, the idea of being caged and being stuck, and then it... Presents the idea of like experiments because we know that um, traditionally, unfortunately, experiments have been done on animals, namely rabbits, yeah, um, rats and rabbits, really. Mm-hmm. And so, so it just kind of it, it in a weird way in one shot kind of sets you up completely for what's about to happen in kind of a really nuanced way. And I just really appreciate that. It's also just a pretty shot, yes. even though it's animals in cages, and I fucking hate seeing that. Um, it was still a really good idea to execute for this particular film.
0: Yeah, I did, obviously, one of my favorites is just a completely isomorphic shot. Um, it's just a series of reverses between Gabe and the the tethered family.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, when they when he first goes out into the driveway, mm-hmm. okay, I'm and they're just now.
0: standing there in shadow, not moving, not responding, making no notice that he's even there, and he. It's, it's a bunch of crosses is why I love it. Right. So he crosses upstage, then downstage, then upstage, then downstage in these two moments. Yeah. And moves his way forward. And he is such a large man, right? Yeah. And having him take up so much of the screen and then it reverses. And you've got this family who's way in the background standing there. Just completely still, but they're on the high ground. Yeah, and there's this. It's I, I don't know. There's something about the like where the eye lines are and everything there that just is so clever to me. And that is one of the most Carpenter shots in the film to me. Mm. Is using the three dimensionality of film. Yeah, uh, or it is a two dimensional medium, obviously, but it feels three dimensional because of the way he uses well, the way Peele uses the camera set or the movie set as a stage. Yeah, and Carpenter does a lot of the same things. Yeah. where you have these shots where the family's in the top third of the shot, right? But yeah. they're centered. So yeah, Gabe crosses downstage from the right third to the middle third. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so brilliant. Like, it's just these moments yeah. here, right? Yeah. Um, with them being slightly off center, and the obviously the driveway's not perfectly level, and all of these things. Like It really gives you this sort of sense of, like, he does not have the upper hand here. Totally. You were immediately told that. Like your brain is like, oh, right, yep, nope, he is going to lose this one.
1: Yeah. And I love, I love again, kind of going back to the references and stuff. I love the familiarity that we're given with everything pops off because like the power goes out. Like that's such a that's such a tool that like every anyone who's ever seen a horror film ever is like, "Okay, let's go. The power's off. It's dark. What's about to happen?" Like you still you never know what's going to happen, but with the power going off, you know it's about to pop off. You know?
0: Yeah, it's not happening. Yeah. Or it it's all about to happen is what I really should say. But yeah, I also love um there's just a fun thing about that shot where Gabe's in the Howard sweatshirt Yes, an HBCU, obviously. Yes, and the film actually premiered at Howard.
1: Oh, nice!
0: Yeah, right. Fun stuff. It's a nice little um, nod. Yeah, you know I he's just that. full of those. I mean, there's just, there's this 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 thing is chock full of good shots and good references. Like I feel like the end is a with the hands across America scene. It feels very twenty eight days later. With the zoom out over all the death and destruction.
1: Yes. And even I'm I'm even thinking about um, when they're at the beach. We only see them really at the beach once, like enjoying their beach day Mm -hmm. as much as they can. It's like the lighting in it is so interesting to me because it's sunny. Like people are wearing hats and sunglasses, but it doesn't look like a sunny day at the beach to me. It, right. it looks like the colors are a little more subdued and it's almost like it's a cloudy day at the beach. Huh. But yet people are wearing like sunglasses and hats. Sure. This is from my memory. It might actually be bright as hell, but I just remember watching it again last night and being like, being like, everyone's wearing like, like Elizabeth Moss's character is wearing both a sun hat and sunglasses. Yeah, and a cover
0: up and all of that. Um, and the and under I, umbrellas and everything,
1: yeah. Yeah, and they're under umbrellas. And so I'm like, well, I think it's supposed to be like a sunny day at the beach, but it just didn't feel that way. Like it felt like one of those very overcast days, Mm. um, which I just thought was maybe an interesting touch. Again, I might be wrong, but I just (laughs) remember it from last night. Yeah, I mean I wanted to touch a little bit more or go a little bit deeper on the doppelgangers just because that's such a huge theme in this. It kind of, of is, is the theme. I mean, we've um, talked about
0: doppelgangers on the podcast before. I'm not gonna be mad to talk about them again.
1: Yeah, it's really I mean it's it's pretty interesting to me. And I'll just I'll just start off by listing off where these our main doppelgangers names pretty much came from for sure so we've got abraham who is gabe's doppelganger um from the bible he was devoted
0: um jewish history thank you very much (laughs) perfect christians are thieves it's fine
1: yes i will not deny that pretty much known in the in the bible for his devotion and loyalty yeah abraham was god yeah yeah
0: yeah abraham's um Father of Isaac, also of Ishmael. Um, but yeah, is binds or takes his son up the mountain to sacrifice him because God says, sacrifice me. You know, so, uh, what's this? What's this? What's the Johnny Cashler? God said uh, <laughs> Abraham, give me a son.
1: Oh, right, right. <laughs> um,
0: uh, but yeah, so takes him up to sacrifice him, and God's like, whoa, dude, what the fuck? That was a prank.
1: Yeah, and this is supposedly representative of his devotion to Red, who kind of is their god. Because, again, only one with the ability to speak and, you know, and is leading them to what they think is going to be their ultimate, you know, freedom.
0: Yeah, so a little bit, she's a little bit Moses.
1: Yeah, and then we've got Umbre, which is Latin for shadow and Darkness, um, who is Zora's doppelganger, and then we've got Pluto, Jason's doppelganger, with which is a mythological god of the underworld. Yeah. So there's also kind of this implied, like, is he going to be like, you know, the next, the next of kin type situation? Like, god of underworld is like a really strong title.
0: Yeah. So I mean, the successor to Red. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so I also, I also have another quote. Um, so many people obviously interviewed him about this because this was such a conversation piece,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and which is what he wanted. And, and I totally get that being, you know, a horror director. You want people walking out of that theater and about to have a conversation about what they just saw.
0: I mean, this is, again, where I'm going to give comparisons to Carpenter. Carpenter was always making comments. Yeah. Much as he says he was not, he's a fucking liar. <laughs> he's
1: always making comments.
0: He's like nah I don't know I just made something I'm grumpy I am old and I'm smoking like <laughs> yeah and he's like no dude you fucking clearly like we talked about this with they liver he's like yeah fuck the Reagans honestly just fuck the Reagans
1: yeah and I think that so I think that Jordan Peele has a really interesting take on doppelgangers um yeah. he says now throughout history the doppelganger mythology exists and what I think it represents is this is everything that we don't face in ourselves it is a representation of the guilt, the trauma, the fear, the hatred that might be buried underneath layers of pleasantry. All that stuff that we don't deal with. When it comes out, it'll come out in crazy ways. Nice. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a really cool way to look at it. And, and I, I don't disagree. I think that, um, I mean, again, going back to Twin Peaks, well, where doppelgangers are also a theme. <laughs> And it is kind of like an underworld, the madness of it all. And, and we all have different sides to us. And those sides aren't always pretty. And we don't really want to face those sides that aren't pretty. But what happens when that side of you confronts you? You know? Yeah. So.
0: I love that. Yeah. No. Yeah, no. I it's, think it's a really it's, cool yeah.
1: take on it that he has. I think it's cool.
0: Um, yeah. I also love that Elizabeth Moss is Dahlia. Yes. Because uh, yes. she's like, I think I could have been a movie star before the twins mm-hmm. came. Mm-hmm. It's like, I did a couple commercials. I'm like, okay, so have I. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, Tim Heidecker's text just feels like a funny joke. Like, I don't even know what that means other than he's just like, his, his, his tether is the funniest tether. Yeah. Because he's just like, oh, you know, like, I'm making all the gestures, but he's like acting yeah. like a really weird version of not Josh, but Tim Heidecker. It's yeah. like if Tim Heidecker had a stroke. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, there's also just some nice shout-outs to the history. Uh, we didn't mention the actors, um, but the actors who play uh, uh, Lupita's parents, uh, yeah. Yaya Abdul-Mateen II and Anna Diop, playing Russell and Rain. Mm-hmm. Their tethers are named Wayland and Ertha Ooh. and I love that. That's just a nod, you know. Like yeah. it's not. It doesn't mean there's no like deeper meaning other than just like shouting out. Yeah. Um, but the twins are one of the funnest ones for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Io and Nix, mm-hmm. or Nix. Io being well hold on I'll get to that. So Neeks is a really cool character in Greek mythology. Uh huh. Um Give She it to me. was the female personification of night. Oh. But even Zeus feared her.
1: Shit. Uh yeah, it was in
0: that that comes up in uh in Damn, Homer. Damn girl? Yeah, that's in uh that's in the Iliad. And then we had uh the then Io is one of you know, it's a moon around uh the, the planet Jupiter. Jupiter yes. being the roman name for zeus
1: oh. io
0: was one of the mortal lovers of zeus oh, uh wow. and it's unclear may have been, uh, may have a, been what it may, there may not have been so much consensuality there
1: i got it
0: um but one of my really good friends from college maddie wattenberg just uh sorry madeline wattenberg uh she's a poet and she just released a new book of poetry called io
1: Oh, beautiful. It's, it's on
0: its way to me right now, and I'm very excited. Love
1: that.
0: Yeah, so there's just like the Greek mythology references here, because then you have you have Umbre and Pluto being the Latin, yeah. Io and Nix being Greek.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't know what that means. I just like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, my favorite one, though, one of the uh, folks at the, I don't know where they came in, but it's Kara Hayward playing Nancy and Sid, mm. as in Sid Vicious.
1: Sid vicious, but
0: she plays. Uh, it's Sid and Nancy. And I love that. That mm-hmm. Nancy is the yeah. uh, the above, and Sid is the tethered. Fun. Yeah, um, I just love that. She was uh, Carrie was a, a really good actor. She mm-hmm. was in Moonrise Kingdom. I like her a lot. Um, but yeah, that was one of my favorite ones. Just as yeah. like a little nod. It's just so funny. He's just funny. He's, he's got jokes. Yeah, no, <laughs> he's,
1: he seems like such a fun guy. I yeah,
0: love it. but I mean that is also like. That is just another Carpenter thing of just being a fucking nerd and throwing in these references and just being like, no, 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 no. This is going to happen. This is there.
1: No, I love it. I love it because horror undoubtedly falls into nerd culture no matter what. And so it has to. um, And it's and that's it's never a bad thing. I love nerd culture. I think it's fun. Um,
0: It's always going to be a niche genre. It's it never going it to get is. outside it's the niche. Never, and I did, yeah. Just by by definition, it's the things that we fear. So why not everybody's going to want to dive into that? I get that all the time from people yeah. like, "That's awesome! I love to listening to you talk about horror movies." Like, but I don't we have wanna a friend. Watch em. We have a friend yeah. who listens to every single episode of this podcast. He does not watch the films.
1: Yeah, and that is totally fair. But yeah, it's always going to be nerd culture because of that, because it's never going to be something that without consent you can just throw on. You yeah, know, like it's, yeah, um, yeah.
0: I mean, we've how many times have your poor roommates walked in on us watching something just absurd? I was uh, glad no one was here when we were watching this yesterday because I forget how bloody and tough to watch parts of this movie are.
1: Definitely, it's
0: not nearly like gross out like with Raimi, but it is like it's Carpenter gore.
1: Yeah, and I mean this is just a just a on the nose like visceral horror movie up and down. Yeah. Um. So that
0: moment when Gabe gets hit in the knee with the bat, Ugh. as someone who has bad knees,
1: same, same. I'm just like I don't like knee stuff. I don't Ugh. like knee I've stuff. I've been at hitting all. the knee,
0: not with the bat, but I've been hitting the knee a bunch of times, and it fucking not hurts. Fun.
1: But yeah, so I think that I think that when directors also put in other things from nerd culture, it's like it doesn't affect anyone who maybe doesn't get it but the people who do get it it's just like an extra like oh my god yeah
0: once again it's that the it's name, to your uh, or it's that image macro of leo in um hollywood with the popcorn pointing at himself on television yeah but that's all like never go to a movie with me and lopez it's obnoxious because we will sit there and just whisper which references are happening to each other we did it when we were watching the new halloween that came out a couple years ago.
1: I think that's really cute for you guys.
0: Uh, we love that journey for us.
1: I love that journey for both of you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, to kind of wrap us up, I have <laughs> the theme of this podcast episode. I have one more quote from <laughs> Jordan Peele himself. Um, and I think it just kind of will take us out on a, on a good informative note. So he says, we've been speculating this whole time what this movie's like about about and, you know, why it was such a hit other than it's just like amazing Um, he says I think one of the reasons this movie has has an expansiveness is because us is subjective everybody thinks of the term us in different ways it can be us the family us the town us the country us humanity I think in the simplest form the very nature of us means there is a them right so that is what this oh sorry Mm -hmm. So that is what this movie is about to me, is that whatever your us is, we turn them into the enemy and maybe we are our own worst enemy. Fuck yeah. Yeah. I think that like, hell yeah. I love that shit.
0: Yeah. I am beyond excited for this new project. I don't know what the fuck it's going to be. I know very little about it other than right now it's Steven Yun. Daniel Kaluuya coming back and Kiki Palmer and I'm going to watch whatever the Keke fuck that Palmer. is. Kiki Palmer.
1: I love Kiki Palmer. I love
0: Stephen Yeun and Daniel Kaluuya.
1: Hell yeah. Okay, great. Um, I think that wraps us up on a really great... I could go no? on forever.
0: I, mean, I could talk for four, four always, more hours about this.
1: Couldn't we always? But we're going to let you guys go. Um, We love you so much. You know where to find us. We're on Instagram at Horror Babes Podcast. We're on Twitter at Horror Babes Pod and you can always find us at HorrorBabesPodcast.com. Uh, stay safe babes we love ya bye, bye babes. babes hey babe
0: yeah babe